We're in Revelation chapter 13 tonight as we're going through the Bible on Wednesday nights, Revelation 13. Before long, guys, we're going to be back in Genesis. It's crazy. So, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that there is going to be a wrapping up of all of the things that we are experiencing for our lives, but also for this world, that this world is temporary, that you, Jesus, are going to rule and reign. We pray that you'd fill our hearts with hope and you'd fill our hearts with anticipation. God, I pray for those that just need a, an extra encouragement from you, Lord, an extra touch from you that you would speak to them tonight, where, where there's a need for us to be corrected, God, that you would bring correction to us. We thank you, Jesus, that we're in union with you, that you never leave us or forsake us, that you live inside of us, and we belong to you. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter could be entitled The Great Counterfeit. We know the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this chapter presents to us the counterfeit of that. We see Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. As we go through this chapter, I think that it is amazing to see how the stage is set for these things to be fulfilled. The stage is set for the world to embrace the Antichrist as we see many having an attitude of being opposed to Christ or wanting to replace Christ. Probably what this chapter is most famous for is the last few verses where we see the mark of the beast, that there will be this mark that's placed on your forehead and also on your wrist, and without it you can't buy or, or sell. And technology is now present for this to be rolled out. Imagine if you studied this section of scripture 50 years ago and you tried to imagine how could there be a cashless society? How could all of the marketplace uh, take place through Amazon? I mean, the mark of the beast. (laughs) I just read today that the CEO of Amazon makes $231,000 per second per second. He is officially the richest man in the world. So Amazon is doing well. He, he passed Bill Gates uh, because Bill Gates gave away a lot of his money. So the article said if, if Bill Gates wouldn't have given away so much money, he would still be the richest man in the world. So ultimately, we don't know uh, what the mark of the beast is, but we do see the technology taking place. I think there is encouragement in this chapter, and you might be saying, well, where is it? because we do see our salvation drawing near. And so that's where the encouragement is, that we're getting closer and closer to the rapture of the church, to Jesus Christ coming and returning and ruling and reigning on this earth. If you like to take notes, there's three divisions in this chapter. The first is one world government. In verses 1 through 10, we'll see the Antichrist reigning through a one world government. And then verses 11 through 15 is a one world religion. And then finally, we see in verse 16 to verse 18, a one-world economy. So one-world government, one-world religion, and one-world economy. So verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name." 
Last week we saw the dragon, and this week we see the beast. And the dragon was clearly pointing to Satan. That was defined for us or interpreted for us in the text in chapter 12. Now in chapter 13 we see this beast that is rising up. And first the text tells us that I stood up out of the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. John's having a vision of these things, and the beast comes out of of the sea. In Revelation 17, verse 15, it tells us that the sea is humanity, or all the the peoples of of the world. So the beast, which is the Antichrist, is coming up out of the peoples of the world, and he's depicted as having seven heads and ten horns. And then on the ten horns are are ten crowns. And what are these heads that are, are represented? In Revelation 17, 19, it says this, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And so we don't know for sure what these seven heads are, but we do know that the woman will sit upon these seven heads or upon these seven mountains. And then there's ten horns. And in Revelation 17, verse 12, it says the ten horns are ten kings. And horns represent strength and power. So the Antichrist is going to come with ten kings that are surrounding him that have great power. And then these kings, of course, are wearing crowns, speaking of their authority and their position. But what we find throughout the text is the Antichrist is blasphemous. And upon his head is a, is a blasphemous name. You know, is there any name that is more blasphemous than Antichrist? What does that mean? Well, Antichrist is opposed to Christ, but it's also in opposition to to Christ. So I'm saying I'm going to replace Christ and I'm going to be opposed to Christ. And the Antichrist loves to speak blasphemies. Now in verse 2, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet was like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. So, so this beast that is coming out is like unto the leopard, and then also his feet are like the feet of a bear. His mouth was like the mouth of, of a lion. Now, important part of, of Revelation 13 is Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. It's been a while since we've been through uh, the book of Daniel. I think you can go back to the website and pull, pull up those uh, teachings. But you may remember in Daniel 2, Daniel had a vision of the kingdoms of men. And the kingdom of men were seen in a statue. And each part of the statue was different metal. And each metal represented a different kingdom. And that's the kingdoms of men from man's perspective. The strong and powerful metal. But then in chapter 7, we see a vision of four kingdoms from the perspective of, of, of God's perspective. And the kingdoms are these wild, ravenous beasts. And there in Daniel 2, the leopard was Alexander the Great, the bear was the Medes and the Persians, and the lion was the Babylonians. And so the, these three kingdoms are referred to here again, and the Antichrist is going to be like them. The, the Antichrist is, is going to rule and reign in a similar way and have similar power. But then also in Daniel chapter 7, there's a fourth beast that was extremely brutal and ravenous, and that points to 
the Antichrist. So Revelation 13 is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 2. But remember, in those visions, in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, ultimately it leads to the reign of Christ. That's forever and for eternal. Uh, Jesus Christ is going to come and defeat Satan and the Antichrist. You guys with me so far? When you're studying the book of Revelation, you've got to use your imagination a little bit, okay? So you've got this vision that's taking place, the sea. You know, imagine you're having a dream, and, and in this dream, you see this big, terrifying beast that, that is coming up out of the sea. It's got seven heads. You, you see it? Right? And then it, it's got the seven horns with the crowns on side of it. So if you're good at art, draw this out for me, Okay? In verse 3, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and the world marveled and followed the beast. And so the Antichrist experiences what is likened to a mortal wound. It seems like the Antichrist would definitely pass away, but then is miraculously healed, and that gets the world's attention, and they follow the beast. Now, this chapter is the great counterfeit. It's the imitation, right? This sounds a lot like what happened to Jesus where Christ was crucified and rose from the dead. But this is just the, Im- the imitation. You can look in verse 3, it says, as if. It, 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 it was not to the point where he died, but close to being mortally wounded. But it's enough to impersonate the reality of, of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what counterfeit does? It impersonates the reality. And that's what Satan always wants to do. He wants to give us the the cheap counterfeit. And this is a false crucifixion and it's a false resurrection. In verse 4, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Pretty quickly, the world's willing to accept the Antichrist's one-world government that comes through these, these kings, and then to offer worship to, to the beast. And they begin to say, who is like the Antichrist? Who is like the beast? And who's able to make war with him? And this is where I think we can see the stage set for Revelation 13 because the wor- world seems very primed and ready to reject Christ. So it seems very quick to say, I'll take anything but Jesus. I'll, I'll replace Christ and I'll be opposed to Christ. In a sense, that's a, that's a worship in and of itself, isn't it? You know, we'll, we'll just worship anything other than Jesus Christ. But if you worship Christ, we don't want anything to, to do with you. And in fact, your worship of Christ is holding society back. In verse 5, And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue 42 months. As we go through this chapter, remember God's in control, and he's allowing these things. It says, and the Antichrist, the beast, he was given a mouth to speak blasphemies. And we we may be wondering, well, why is God allowing the Antichrist to do this? Remember, Satan's been kicked out of heaven And he comes down to the earth, and he knows that his time is limited. But this tribulation is the wrath of the Lamb. It's God's judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. I believe the church has already been raptured, and God is punishing a world that says, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. So you want Antichrist? Here he is. 
I'm going to let you have him. And here's all of his lies and here's all of his, his blasphemies. That, and he's given 42 months uh, to speak his blasphemies and, and have influence. In verse 6, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. What does he blaspheme? The Antichrist specifically against God, his name, God's name, which is God's character and nature, his tabernacle, God's dwelling place, and those who dwell in heaven. What does the word blasphemy mean? It means to revile. It means to speak against. It's the ultimate trash talker. That's blasphemy, okay? So he's just ranting and raving against God and and in God's character. One of the things that's interesting when you listen to those that don't know Christ as their Savior and are really opposed to Christ is they have a way of taking the character of God and trying to twist it to make God out to be evil. Have you heard that? You know, even the cross of Jesus Christ, there's some that would say, how could you serve a God who would send his son to die upon the cross? What a, what a brutal father that would, would do that to his own son. And they take the most magnificent act of love, which is God choosing to lay down his son so that we could be saved, not coming to full understanding that Jesus willingly laid down his life to the father, that Jesus didn't have no choice. He, he chose this as well. He, he's saying, yes, I want to lay down my life. I'm willingly laying down my life. No one took it from me. I want to be sacrificed for sin as a love offering to the Father and a love offering to the world. But people take a way of, of twisting the, the character and, and nature of God. I mean, what's so bad about God being a creator, right? Well, what's, what's bad about that with the character and nature of God? But that spirit of the Antichrist has a way of, of twisting that to where it seems evil to believe in a, in a creator. It se- seems evil to ascribe that God has designed things. But we, we do take a piece of technology and we very quickly say someone designed this. There, there's design, so there has to be a designer. And so the Antichrist, he loves to speak against God, to speak about his character, also his tabernacle, his dwelling place, and those who dwell in heaven almost making out to, to be foolish those who are in heaven, those that trusted Christ as our Savior and are living forever with the Lord. One of the lies of the enemy is that heaven's going to be boring and hell's going to be a party. You ever heard that, right? It's like, why would you want to go to heaven? There's only chubby angels with harps on clouds forever, right? What are you going to do in heaven forever? But hell, man, when it freezes over, we're going to snowboard there too, Right? But what does the Bible say about heaven and hell? The Bible says that heaven is this amazing place where there's no more sorrow, no more suffering, disease, death, no more sin. Streets are paved with gold. We're going to behold God. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. I mean, it just goes on and on. You're not going to be bored in heaven, amen? It's going to be awesome. And then hell, how does God describe hell? That there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Outer darkness, there's a worm that dies not. What's that all about, right? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're not hanging out, throwing back some brewskis in outer darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face, right? But that's the lie of the enemy. That's the lie of the Antichrist, that 
spirit of the Antichrist that would say, why would you want God? You know, why would you want God's dwelling place? Mock those that, that are in heaven and make hell out to be this place that you would want to go to. In verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. All authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So he makes war against the saints and to overcome them. Now you're saying, well, if the rapture of the church has already happened, who are the saints? Remember, saints means called out ones. So the saints could be those that are saved during the time of the tribulation. It could also be those of the nation of Israel who are saved. You know, there's two primary views on who the saints are. And it's totally dependent on when you believe the rapture to have taken place. If you have a a pre-tribulation rapture view, then you would look at this as being those that are saved in the tribulation. If if you have a post-tribulation rapture view, then some would think that this was the church. Personally, I do think that the church will be raptured prior to the tribulation. Jesus took the wrath of God for us, and this is those that are saved in the tribulation. And to Satan, to the Antichrist, all authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So the dragon is Satan, the beast is the Antichrist, and the Antichrist has got authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is worldwide. This is affecting all people groups. In verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. So everyone living on the earth is going to worship the beast, worship the dragon, except for those whose names written in the lamb's book of life. Those that have their name written in the lamb's book of life are who trust the gospel, who trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. It's their eternal reservation. It's the most important thing that matters. Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Name written in the Lamb's book of life, that that revelation. And so here it says those that have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, they're not gonna bow down and worship the beast. They're not gonna fall to this, this one world religion. The world seems to want a one-world government, don't they? More and more we see the minimizing of nations and this idea of of everybody trying to come together in one unity. The Antichrist is going to pull that off with his conglomeration of of kings that that come together. And then a one-world religion. How's the Antichrist going to pull this off? How is he going to bridge the divides between the different religions to bring them together in one religion to to worship the beast. He's going to pull it off. Some people see the biggest obstacle to society as religion. And so if we could just bring us together in in one one religion, and I think how the the beast is probably going to be able to do this is to be inclusive. And to, to be inclusive to the point of saying there is no truth, right? You've basically seen those bumper stickers and heard this idea articulated where you have all of the the, the face of the world and and why can't we just accept them all and be one big happy family? Isn't it like hiking Pikes Peak? All the trails lead to the top, so 
If you're on the Mormon trail, it's going to get there. If you're on the Muslim trail, it's going to get there. If you're on the Hindu trail, it's going to get you there. But that's not what Jesus said, did he? He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What's really comforting in verse 8 is the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. So in the midst of the Antichrist being able to have sway and have influence and deceive people, we're reminded that God has a plan, that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. And when you're reading the book of Revelations, remember God has a plan. He's doing this for a distinct purpose. Sometimes when we're reading the book of Genesis and we get to where Adam and Eve sinned and they fell, some people may wonder, did God not see that coming? Did God give them a choice and they blew it? And then God's like, oh no, what do I do now? All right, Jesus, uh, what do you think? Were you gonna go die on the cross for sins? Well, we kind of got this ball rolling. We better, we better offer salvation, you know. God knew exactly what was gonna take place. He knew that Adam and Eve were, were gonna sin. And when God created the world, it was already decided before he created the world that Jesus would come and die for our sins. God has a plan. It was leading up to the cross all along. Uh, the cross is not God's plan B. It's his plan A. That's what he always intended. He knew that Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that we would sin and we would need a savior. We would need Jesus, the Lamb of God, to be the sacrifice for our sins. Isn't that phenomenal? Like, when we think about, if we knew what God knew, we would be like, well, forget Adam and Eve, right? If it's gonna cost me my son, then let's just make some elephants and be done with this, right? So God longed so much to have fellowship with us that he knew it would cost him his son and it was worth it in order to be in relationship with us. That's the gospel there in, in verse eight. In verse nine, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Interesting, the timing in which God encourages us to listen. Right after we were told that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. Stop and listen. Pause. If you've got an ear to hear, listen to what God is speaking to you through, through that message. In verse 10, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity, and he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. So no one's going to get away with anything. They're going to be held accountable to God. God's the judge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And if someone goes around putting people into captivity, then they're going to receive captivity. If they go around killing people with the sword, they're, they're going to be killed by the sword. God's going to hold them accountable. And so this is our endurance. This is, we endure and we have faith knowing that God is going to, to set things right. We should have an awe of God and a fearful respect for God. And understand if it wasn't for the cross of Jesus Christ, we could never stand before God. We could never be in, in his presence. Yeah, and people that do all kinds of atrocities to others, they should have a fear of God and understand, I'm going to have to stand before God. You know, When someone molests a child, they're going to have to stand before God. When someone rapes someone, they're going to have to stand before God. You know, when someone kills someone, they're going to they're have to stand before God. All these nations that do all of these things and think that they're not accountable to anyone, they're going to have to stand before God. And if you go around 
killing people and taking people into captivity, then, then that's what you can expect to, to receive in, in judgment. And thank goodness for the cross, because if it wasn't for the lamb that was slain before us, that there would be no hope for us. There would be no for, forgiveness for us. In verse 11, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So the first was the beast, and now we see a second beast coming out of the sea, and this one has just two horns and is like, like a lamb, so like Jesus. We already know that the lamb is Jesus, but speaks like Satan, but speaks like the dragon. And this is the false prophet. So you have Satan, you have the Antichrist, and the, the false prophet. What's interesting about this false prophet is he is like the lamb. He is like Jesus. Some people will look and, and see from an outward perspective there's something that looks like godliness. But if they listen to the message, the message is one of Satan. You've got to listen to the message. Amen? You've got to listen to the words that are, that are being spoken. There's a lot of really good wrappings that are, that are placed on things. And the wrapping looks godly, but the message is against Christ. It has nothing to do uh, with the gospel. False teachers love to, to come. Wolves in sheep's clothing. That's a great way to eat sheep, isn't it? Right? How do you get in with the herd? You look like a sheep. You, you talk like a sheep. You look like the lamb. But the only problem is, is wolves have a different diet, right, than sheep do. Wolves don't hear the voice of, of the shepherd. So what are you listening for? What are you looking for when you're evaluating someone's message? What do they teach about Jesus Christ, first and foremost? Do they believe that Jesus is God? Do they believe Jesus died for sins and rose again and is the only way for salvation? What's the fruit of their life? Do they have love? You'll know them by their fruits, right? Are they going around devouring and destroying Christians? When you look at their life, do you see a, a wake of destruction and, and the body of Christ is in, in their path? Then, then be careful. Evaluate their teaching. Evaluate the fruit. In verse 12, and he exercises all authority <clears throat> of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So the false prophet is pointing everybody back to the Antichrist, to the beast. The Holy Spirit points everybody to Jesus Christ so you can see the false trinity. In John 16, verse 14, Jesus said, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you, speaking of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's always pointing people back to Jesus. How do you know the Spirit's moving and working? Is when people are falling in love with Jesus, when they're talking more about, about Jesus. So this great counterfeit, this imitation, the false prophet is pointing everybody to the Antichrist. Verse 13 is important. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Similar to the two prophets of God that we saw just, just a few weeks ago. So the supernatural is not the gauge for if something is truthful or not. So Satan can operate in the supernatural. And obviously God is, is much more powerful than, than Satan. 
but this false prophet's able to call down fire from heaven. Remember in the Old Testament with Pharaoh? Moses and Aaron stood up against Pharaoh and his magicians. The magicians were able to do some things that were supernatural. Not near as much as what God was doing through Moses, but there was some supernatural that was, was taking place. And so this is done in the sight of all men, fire coming down from heaven. In verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So we're getting a little bit more of this wound that the beast, the Antichrist, received. It was from the sword, almost took his life and came back to life. The signs are used to deceive those who dwell on the earth. Maybe there's some skepticism about the beast, about the Antichrist, his message. But then when these supernatural things start taking place, people go, oh man, this, this must be right. That there's supernatural things that are taking place and deception occurs. More and more when I think about the reality of Satan as I don't think that he likes the frontal attack. He's not necessarily the one that says, I'm gonna punch you in the face, right? He would much rather just slither in like a snake be super deceptive, catch you when you're not thinking, see if you're really paying attention to the, the, the truth of God's word. And God's word tells us that Satan comes as an angel of light. And so this is going to look good. This is going to look godly. And a lot of people are going to fall for it because it's supernatural. In Galatians 1.8, Paul writes and he says, even if we or an angel come and preach to you another gospel, something other different than Jesus Christ and him crucified, let him be accursed, all right? Now, we think we're above this. We're kind of going, okay, we're studying this. this. This makes sense. But if you saw something that was, was supernatural, would you just uh, immediately ascribe it to God? If you saw someone raised from the dead, would you go, oh, man, that, that has to be from the Lord? Or would you evaluate the message, right? If you, if you saw a demon get cast out of someone and you go, oh man, that was, that was supernatural. If there was some prophet in the village inn parking lot after Wednesday night because they have free pie on Wednesday nights if you buy a cup of coffee. And so there's a prophet in the village inn parking lot and he looks up to heaven and he calls down fire from heaven and then right in the parking lot. Well, well would you follow him? Would you be like, okay. Get out the tithe buckets, pass them around. You know, this, this guy's a prophet from God. He called down fire from heaven. Hopefully we would stop and we would go, it, what's the message? What's it teach you about Jesus Christ? Does it hold to, to the scriptures? In verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to, to be killed. So the false prophet gets people to build an image, a statue, to worship the beast. Then the false prophet breathes on the image, and the image comes to life. And that, too, deceives people. And then anyone who isn't willing to worship the image of the beast is to be killed. The Holy Spirit breathes new life on us. And here the false prophet breathes as a counterfeit 
Trinity to bring life to, to this image. Now, now, this is far out stuff when you really start to ponder this and how this might look in the world. Where the Antichrist comes along and has great power in the governmental system, and then this one world worship comes together, and then you have this image that comes to life, and many, many people are, are deceived. And we finish out the chapter with the one world economy. So we've seen the one world religion, the one world government, and then the one world economy. It says, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. So first, in verse 16, it's inclusive, both small and great, rich and poor, so young and old, rich and poor, free and slave. That's interesting in and of itself. We would think that slavery would no longer exist, but some would argue that there's more slavery than there's ever been. And here at the end times, there's free and there's slaves, that they have to receive this mark on their foreheads. And if they don't receive the, the mark on their foreheads, they aren't able to buy or sell. Again, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, the idea of a cashless society wouldn't even begin to enter into to, to our minds. But how much of us do business with cash anymore, Right? This dates me a little bit, but when I was in high school, I took a consumer math class. It was, I took it as a senior. It was either tougher math courses or consumer math. I said, I'll take the consumer math. And we learned how to do a budget, and they taught us how to write out checks, right? I don't think seniors in high school are worried about writing out checks anymore. It's, it's pretty much non-existent. You, you, Everything has, has been, been replaced and how quickly and how easily we're able to exchange money through the technology that's provided. You think of all of the different platforms, Apple Pay, right, where you put all that onto your phone and then boom, all those transactions take place. What I want you to see in this is this is worldwide. And even now today, this technology is worldwide, in Uganda, when we spend time doing ministry over in, in Uganda, they are making their transactions through their phones. That, that's how they, they're able to, to buy and sell is through uh, their, their phones. So you may think, well, this isn't available to those who live in poverty. Yes, it is. And this is how they're doing, doing business. They're not using cash. Uh, they, they get phones and with SIM cards and add minutes to them, and, and then through that, without even having a bank account, uh, are able to, to buy uh, and sell. And, and people have come up with those technologies specifically for them. And so today where we sit, we go, man, this, this is doable. The, we're not waiting on the, the technology. This is not a, a science uh, experiment. It is, it is a reality. And we're so quick to accept the new technology as it rolls down. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. You know, there, there's been a lot of misunderstanding with the mark of the beast. I remember as a kid uh, at the grocery store when the 
the bar beep scan bar scan yes no what is it barcode yeah when those first came out some christians were afraid to use those because they thought it had the mark of the beast like if my frito-lay chips have 666 in it then beep you know i'm in trouble with god right and so you know if, if you use apple pay or something in in some platform to be able to, to buy buy and sell uh, electronically, you haven't taken on the, the mark of the beast. But we are very willing to accept new technology, right? Like like Apple comes out with their features where you've got to do your thumbprint to, to get into your phone. And you're like, sweet, I don't have to type in my password, right? And then they change and they upgrade. And the next iPhone is it recognizes your face and it's face ID, you go, man, they've got everybody's thumbprint and the, the face ID. But we accept it and we go along with it because then I don't have to type in a, a, a passcode and, and my phone doesn't work unless I, I do this. And, and they write their programs where if you don't fully use their phone, then it's that much harder to be able to use the, the features. So we see the technology that is taking place. How about the mark? The, the mark here on the forehead and the mark on on the wrist because satan is the great counterfeiter god is the one who puts a mark upon his people in ezekiel chapter 9 there was a group that their hearts would be broken and would sigh over the spiritual abominations that were in israel and god said because their hearts are are broken over wickedness I'm going to place a mark on their forehead. That's Ezekiel 9.4. So God was marking his people all the way back in the Old Testament. We see with the Jewish people that the, the men were to be circumcised. They were marked be, to represent that they, they belonged to God. We've already seen in Revelation chapter 7 that the 144,000 have a seal that's placed upon their foreheads that they belong to God. A mark represents that you belong, and, and God has marked us that we belong to God. In Ephesians 1, we're told that we're sealed, we're marked with the Holy Spirit. That's God's stamp upon us that, that we belong to the Lord. So Satan's ripping this off. This is the counterfeit to place, to place the mark uh, upon people, upon their foreheads, and upon their wrists. And we go to verse 18 and says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man. His number is 666. And this is where the speculation comes in, is somehow the Antichrist, the beast, and, and his name, and the number of, of that man, the Antichrist, his number is 666. And in the ancient world, it was very common to take the Hebrew alphabet, the Greek alphabet, and give a number to each letter. So, for example, the, the number one would be given to the letter A. And so some have looked at this and said, if you take the Antichrist's name and you, you put it to the Greek alphabet and you count it out, his number is going to be 666. Here's what I do understand. When all of this gets unfolded, it's not going to be a mystery. Probably the Antichrist is going to make this real evident about this number 666 to where those that have received Christ during the tribulation, they're reading the book of Revelation, and they go, man, even though I can't buy or sell, I'm not going to get this mark. And oh yeah, 666 is all over this mark. And that, that is clearly being communicated. 
So for us, I don't think that it's wise to try to figure all of this out or decode some type of mystery because when the end of all things come, this is going to be clearly revealed. Think about how many problems this would solve with this mark. And, I, and I'm not trying to make any political statement here, but everything that we're seeing take place with, with immigration, and it is heartbreaking to see kids not linked up with their parents. And it, well, what if there was a mark that was placed upon everybody, and then you knew exactly where everyone was? Sounds like a great invention for teen drivers, right? It's like, hey, hey, where were you? <laughs> no, you weren't. I know exactly where you were, right? And, uh, <laughs> I'm glad that wasn't around when I was driving. So, so, so now you can dump your phone, you know, or turn off your, your phone, phone tracker. But a mark, you couldn't do that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have to worry about kidnapping. You know, if someone gets kidnapped, I know exactly, I know exactly where they're at. All of the identity theft that has, has taken place. It's really not uncommon for someone to steal your whole entire identity, your name, your social security number, where you live. Go open up an account in your name. Credit card in your name, cell phone in your name. Sometimes people have discovered that someone's opened up a mortgage in their name. Could you imagine? You, you go to check your credit report and you're like, I've only got uh, one mortgage, or I don't have a mortgage at all, and it's saying over here, I've got a mortgage in Arkansas. You know, like, that, that's not even me. You know, people have their, their taxes. Oftentimes, someone will do a tax return under your Social Security number, right? Hey, you already took my refund, and it gets real messy. And all of a sudden, this, this all gets cleared up. All your identity, your security, it's right here. And we know the world will accept security, give up their freedoms to accept security, right? Okay, it's worth it. I'll take this mark. If, this, if it solves all of these problems and, and I'm more secure and, and my kids are, are more secure. So a few questions for you as we close tonight. Three questions to be specific. Is do we see that our salvation draws near? Absolutely. I think that's the purpose of this for us. We study these things and we go, you know what? It's definitely closer than it was 10 years ago. It's definitely closer than 100 years ago. We see things being set for the Antichrist, the false prophet, the one world religion, the one world government, the one world economy. So what does the Bible tell us to do if we see the day of salvation approaching? Turn with me to Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Just a little bit to your left in your Bible. Romans 13, 11 through 14. He says, And do this, knowing the time, then now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. 
but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Our salvation's nearer than when we first believed, so God's word is saying, don't be asleep spiritually. Don't be in darkness. Be in the light. This is the time to embrace Christ and his mission for our lives. Our lives have eternal purpose, to really know Christ and to make, make him known. If we're getting closer to the rapture of the church, don't we want to be looking for Christ's return? No matter what your position is on end times, it's very clear that Jesus said, be looking and longing for my coming with a, a teaching that we should be ready. We should be ready for Christ's return. We should be awake spiritually. We should be in the light and not be in the darkness. Also in Hebrews, it tells us as we see the day approaching, don't forsake the assembling together with believers. So the Bible says you should be able to see it. You should be able to see the signs. You should know that it's closer. Be awake, be close to the Lord, be close to God's people, be close to God's mission. The second question is, are we trusting in God's plan? Are we trusting in God's plan? It's clear from this chapter, God has a plan. He's gonna allow this season of the Antichrist and the false prophet for a specific reason, and then we see this powerful truth that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. God clearly has a plan. So trust his plan. In your own life tonight, trust his plan. In the giant scheme of things with end times and the coming of Jesus Christ, trust his plan. And then the last question, are we falling for Satan's counterfeit? Are we falling for Satan's counterfeit? Have you ever been sold something that you thought was real and genuine? Like, okay, th this is going to be the real thing. Only to, to open it up and go, no, this is a cheap imitation. And Satan loves to give the, the cheap imitation. Satan loves to give his own message on sexuality where people miss out on God's design for sexuality. They're missing out on God's best. God created sex. He designed it, right? Male and female inside of the commitment of marriage. It's life-giving. It's good. It's beautiful. Satan has taken the message on sex and twisted it to say, just do whatever you want with your sexuality. God made you a man. You don't like being a man. You tell God you're a woman and do whatever you want. You're a woman. You don't like being a, a biological woman. Then you choose to be a man and just tell the Lord that he made a mistake and endeavor in whatever you desire for, for sexuality. And then there's absolute destruction and, and devastation that comes into to someone's life. Oh, you know what? Here you are committed inside of your marriage. That's old-fashioned. That's so biblical. Why don't you just go ahead and look outside of your marriage to find sexual fulfillment? What, what's a little bit of porn going to do to your marriage? It's going to do everything to your marriage. It's going to destroy your marriage. Oh, why, why do we have to get married, you know? Let's just go ahead and drive the car before we buy it. And let's move in together and see how this thing goes. It's not going to go well. It's a cheap counterfeit. And that's just one example where how easy it is for us to get Satan's bowl of soup, right? Remember Jacob and Esau? And Esau had been given the spiritual birthright, God's blessing. And here's Jacob, the manipulator, 
And he says, I've got some pretty good split pea soup here, bro. Like, I cooked this up just for you. So yummy in the tummy, right? And he's like, I'll take the temporary satisfaction. I'll take this right now, this really good split pea soup, and I'll give up the, the spiritual heritage that God has given to me. That was a cheap counterfeit, right? And that's what Satan's serving up all day long, right? Saying, just replace Christ. Now, that's not really that important that Christ is your first love, we can kind of just be casual about a relationship with Christ. So just examine that question. Are we falling for Satan's counterfeit? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this chapter. And though it's overwhelming to us and there's things that we don't understand, there's, there's so many things that we do understand. That our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Things are not going to continue the way that they've always been. So help us to be awake spiritually, to fully walk in the light, to make no provision for the flesh. And God, would you show us those, those areas of our lives where we, we are falling for the counterfeit, that we could see clearly what your message is and a relationship with you is, that it's not just about saying no to the lies, but it's about saying yes to you and yes to, to the truth. And God, we do trust your plan. We know that your plan is good and you've proven it because Satan was slain before the foundations of the world. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.